Wow, what a guest today. Misha Mansour from Periphery. Super inspiring. I am Jude Gold, and this is No Guitar Is Safe, and gotta thank Focusrite for making this happen. And it's so funny, because Misha uses Focusrite all day long. He's actually using that interface, one of their interfaces, during this interview you're about to hear. But when I bring up the topic (laughs) of Focusrite, man, he punks me so hard. I haven't been punked this hard on the podcast ever, I don't think. It was funny. Misha's great. Entrepreneur, guitarist, composer, producer, visionary. Some would say that he is one of the architects of Gent, that lovely brand of metal that you really have to pronounce Gent. That's the only way to say that word. But yeah, we really, really do thank Focusrite for bringing us this spectacular guest today. And in case you didn't know, Focusrite, man, they've been pioneering audio technology for over 35 years. And the Scarlet and Claret interfaces, they have instrument inputs that can switch you into high Z, you know, high impedance mode, which can handle the hottest pickups without clipping or creating unwanted distortion. So that's great no matter what kind of guitars and basses you play. And these preamp knobs, man, they have these gain halos, which are really cool because visually they make setting your levels really easy. They provide a clear status of the signal level. You know, they sort of show a different color depending on how hot the you know the amplitude of the incoming signal is and if you're new to digital recording or digital audio workstations and etc and software well they make getting started really easily like with the scarlet because it has this onboarding tool so easy start onboarding tool which will help you with the learning curve go to focusrite.com that's focus r i t e one word .com and check out some of their great gear. We're going to get right to it. But I just want to say it's great to be back. Yes, I kind of had a a little bit more of a break this past. It's been about a month since the last episode. Joe Robinson, spectacular episode. And um, But yeah, I did some stuff, you know. I went to Hawaii with my girlfriend and spectacular little much-needed vacation before touring starts in June. Had to get that in there. And then life happens. Got back and lost a week because my father, he had a big health situation. But I think we're going to get him through it. It's looking good. Me and my brother rushed up to the Bay Area. My brother came out from New York City. And I came up from L.A. If you've been through this stuff, you know how it is. It's kind of intense. My dad is doing great and he's super sharp. But... These things, man, they, they take they can take a week out of your life here and there. And then next thing you know, it's been a little while since the previous episode. But nothing can stop No Guitar Is Safe podcast. It's just too much of a special thing, at least to me and a lot of you. And I really thank all of you who write me all the time and tell me you listen to all the episodes and support. And I really appreciate that. My name is Jude Gold. We are getting close to the six-year mark of No Guitar is Safe podcast. Thank you for all your support. Let's hit the transporter room and shoot over to Misha's studio and plug in some crazy Jackson guitars. When we get started, I think we're talking about a car that Misha had for quite a while, a Lamborghini Huracan. 
you know, he's a he's an enthusiast and probably a maniac. And him and Tosin Abasi, you know Tosin, Animals as Leaders, he was on the show here about two years ago. All these episodes are still up there for free. Go back and listen. Anyway, they do a lot of driving. So we're kind of talking about this crazy Lambo and him and Tosin and what they do. That's how the episode opens. And uh, yes, Misha is plugged into some Focusrite gear. Recording on his end, I really thank him so deeply for recording his guitar and voice over at his studio, and I'm over here in my studio. But guess what? I think the in-person podcast will resume again. What more can I say? You know what? I don't got nothing. Let's get this rolling. Really great episode. Super inspiring. Great spinal tap moment. Let's just say Misha is the only guy I know who plays crazy-ass prog metal while floating on his back across a sea of fans crowd surfing. Thanks for listening. Seriously appreciate it. The floor of that car is so low. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, everything's low in that car. And, like, you know, I'm not the tallest guy, so I actually fit. I know there are people who are, like, over six foot who don't fit in Lamborghinis and they don't like them. Uh, I'm a good size for it. The one, the weird, the weird thing about that car is the rake of the windshield is so. so it's a very long windshield, but it's a very steep rake. So actually, you you don't see very much. And if you're tall, you kind of will need to duck to see like lights, the traffic lights, and things. But the car itself is 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 very easy to drive. It's all wheel drive, so it's got your back. Like you're you're not gonna mess up in like you're not gonna do anything that that car can't handle, on, at least on a public road, unless you're trying to crash it. You know, so. Um, yeah. You could that car is very good at going very fast, even if you have almost no driver skill whatsoever. And that's part of the reason why I got rid of it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's a great car, but I had I had my fun with it, and I'm gonna move on to something else now. You yeah, know? Well, I, it's funny. What what do you guys do? You and Tosin like uh, search out cool turny canyon roads or something? Yeah, yeah. We we just we just drive on back roads. Uh, we have a whole group of friends. Like we we just like the driving aspect of it. It's interesting, like Tosin and I have been friends for so long and like I think it's because we just connected on a lot of points. Like when when him and I first became friends, we were like it's kind of the same thing as like Meshuga. We were both obsessed with Meshuga and these like, you know, lower tuned guitars, like seven strings and eight strings and what kind of gear. And there wasn't really a lot of gear that you know, you were kind of like appropriating gear to like make the sound. We're tr- still trying to figure out that sound. So we we're just going back and forth constantly on gear. It's all we would talk about. And like we'd compare gear and be like, oh, have you tried this? You know, I remember like I got him into the Axe FX, but then he got me into like plugging an Axe FX into a tube power amp, you know, and it was just this back and forth constantly. And we would just nerd out for hours, hours, just nerd out. And, you know, he's always lived close by. So it was like, yeah, we just we'd, I'd always go to him or he'd come to me and we just nerd out over gear. And I'd say like, you know, I accidentally got him in the cars when I was producing uh, uh, their third album, Joy of Motion, you know, I'd the first time I, I, you know, hustled really hard. I, I made enough money to get myself a BMW M3 and I got that. And he was like, why did you get this? And sort of showed him why. He's like, damn, I think I might need to get one of these too. And I think he also appreciates, there's all sorts of car guys, but like I'm less into like the flex side and like showing, I don't really care for like car shows or like my car's always dirty. Like I just like to drive. I like driving experiences very much like on guitar. It's like, I don't really care. I mean, it's great if the guitar is beautiful and looks nice, but really I care about how it plays and how it sounds and the experience of playing it, you know, like there's guitars that you connect with and whatever. And like that will determine what I reach for. It's the same thing with cars. It's the same thing with Tosin. It's it's very much about this pure like connection 
and about the driving experience and whatever. So I guess the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. But uh, but yeah, the experience and connection is what we sort of sort of chase. And we're just always just talking about it back and forth. And we're trading through cars, you know, kind of discussing that. We drive each other's cars all the time, you know, and just kind of uh, like everyone in my group of friends will just swap cars and just just to get a sense of like what these things are like, you know. Yeah, I think I've seen you guys heading up to Angel's Crest or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Trading of cars. But it could be anybody. Um, speaking of crazy guitars, now this is—is this—is that—is that your Jackson? Yeah, this is my new signature for the for the year, and I think it's just—I mean, you can pre-order it now, which is nice. Right, but for the listeners. So, like, I, I don't know how familiar people are with with me, but this is not necessarily what what people would associate with me. Uh, you know, I have my regular signature model, which is like a dual humbucker, actual like sort of super strat thing with like you know a nice arch top, and it's been my dream guitar. Uh, but I went on a bit of a strat kick, you know, and I and uh, I had uh, Jackson actually make me this like master built custom shop strat HSS strat that was like my dad rock sleeper guitar because it looks like a relic strat, but it plays like one of my guitars, you know, and 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 the ver the versatility of HSS is nice because I've got my bare knuckle Ragnarok signature pickup, which is very aggressive. But I've got this neck and middle that are output and EQ match to it, which mean you can get the split coil sound, you can get the second position sound. And all that stuff but you also get the super aggressive like if you want it um you get the full range of a strat and i i just i just dig strats but at the same time we've got you know 20 inch radius which is a super flat fretboard we've got stainless steel jumbo frets we've got my lumen lace side dots we've got locking tuners go to locking tuners we have the floating Strat bridge, not because I like floating bridges at all. I don't, but I do think this makes a strat sound like a strat. And I think you know if you if you have a hardtail, kind of makes it unstraty. And and on my personal ones, I'll probably block it with a tremel no or something. You know, this one's actually floating because this was the prototype I was supposed to prove, and it came out perfect. It's got the caramelized uh, or roasted uh, maple neck and fretboard, and I went for a matching headstock because I love Daphne blue so so much. So we went with like you know that classic Fender color and like uh, matching headstock just to differentiate a bit. And uh, yeah, I just sort of made it mine. I, I moved. Um, you, I don't know if you can see, and maybe most people are listening to this, but you know normally you have a uh, I believe two tone knobs and a volume, or is it two volumes? Whatever it is, I don't need two tones. I think right. Uh, but I was like, I just need a volume and a tone. And normally what happens on on my custom shop strats is as I play, I start to roll back the volume. So like, let's move that down. Let's move out of the way and only need the volume and the tone knob. Um, and uh, the other thing is I, I move the deep dish thing. I'm not really a big fan of that. And I use a lot of angle cables for the uh, output jack. So I move that to the bottom of the guitar. So it's a more standard setup. We've also got like Dunlop dual design strap locks on this so that you can use regular straps or the locking straps that I like to use. So, oh, and one last thing. I put the right. truss rod adjustment here as well because that's where it should be on every guitar. Yeah. The base of the neck. I agree. Very easy to adjust. So, so it's like, it's kind of a no-nonsense uh, uh, super strat, not in the sense of the old, but like a super strat. Uh, they want me to call it a SoCal, but again, since Fender owns Jackson, I get to have the Fender headstock on this with their permission, which is really cool. Um, so, and this is made in the Fujigan factory in Japan. So, um, so that's also really cool right there because they do, they do a phenomenal job in Jackson kind of go there and make sure that like everything is just what um, I love is when I first started playing guitar I was about 1978 I was like eight years old and uh you know strats with humbuckers super strats Van Halen whatever had just become the thing and like now 
to you it's a dad rock design <laughs> yeah yeah well i i especially called it dad rock because like the the original one was relict it wasn't like financially prudent or you know good for uh uh, for production to to do a, a relic finish on this, and I don't think like they really could because you have to do nitro and all that. For the custom shop, it's fine. They're master built. Each one's six grand. They made twenty of them, and I got the real goal was just I would get one for myself. You know that was the the main purpose of that. Uh, so that that's what makes it sort of more dad rocky. I always consider that like with the relic finish, and I love relic finishes, but it's just it's just not a practical thing to do on a on an actual production model unless you have like a facility that's you know, based around that, it would still be very expensive. So we went for the regular uh, uh, finish on this, um, which is a lot more durable too, you know? Maybe play us another riff or, or something. What are you feeling today? Any of your tunes? I, I haven't played guitar. I don't know what to play. That's the problem, you know? I, I haven't, I like honestly have not played guitar much recently. What about like Marigold or something like that? Just to hear That's what I always play. I'll just play, I'll play Marigold because... See, I'm already messing up. Uh, huh. So, like, yeah, uh, if I don't practice my riffs, I forget them. That's the thing. It's like... Yeah, it's all based around this sort of motif that was on just like moving it up the neck in a neoclassical fashion, I guess, you know, and in seven. Um, what inspired you to first pick up a guitar? Was your family musical or? No, not not really. Uh, I always thought that it was cool. I actually started on drums. Uh, I always wanted to be a drummer. I just wasn't really good enough to be a drummer in the band. What and was the music that made you want to play drums? So I was actually not, I'm the oldest and like, I wasn't really exposed to like a lot of like modern rock and whatever. Uh, cause I didn't really have a friend to show me that stuff until I was like probably like 12, 13, 14, like that, that age. I remember hearing like Nirvana's Nevermind, um, you know, the offspring green day, stuff like that. Uh, and just being like, wow, that's so cool. And like, yeah, like, like Dave Grohl's drumming. I, I, I don't think anyone can hear Dave Grohl play drums and not want to be a drummer, you know, like right. that, that guy, that guy will make you want to get behind a kid, like still does. Um, even though he's more known as a guitarist and singer nowadays, you know, uh, he's, he's still probably just one of the, one of the best drummers, it, like not for his chops, but for his creativity and feel. And just, I don't know, there's just something about the way that dude hits drums. That's just right. And the, you know, the, even though he's like, he, it's he's like cool, and everyone loves him. It's it doesn't take, and like it'd be easy to hate him, I guess, or popular, or whatever. It's like something about his drumming that is just right, like really just hard to fault. Yeah, sir, I certainly noticed it when uh, when Nirvana hit. And uh, what what was it that inspired you to switch your guitar? Was maybe an early riff or something that you really resonated with that you just started playing all day. So, well, so here, here's what happened is like, I, you know, I had my high school band or whatever. Right. And when you're the drummer, everyone brings their gear over. And then at the end of the day, that gear is really heavy. And they're like, uh, maybe I'll just leave it here for the next practice. So I ended up sort of inheriting uh, these, these guitars that, that like the guitarists I were, I was playing with at the time would just leave there. And I would always just jam on them and whatever. Uh, I was playing like, you know, Deftones and stuff like that stuff. That's easy. Uh, 
to do, but I thought was really cool and creative. You know, I still still fucking love Deft. Can I swear? Oh, okay, okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was just, uh, sorry, I, I, I swore by accident there, and I was like, I could retake that if you want without swearing. But, um, yeah, like, uh, no, I, I absolutely uh, loved and still do love Deftones. So, like, and that's an example of, like, a band where, like, the, the riffs are very sort of simple, but they don't, you know, it, it shows you that, like, you can write really creative stuff if you get the right four chords together. And I liked that. That was maybe a bit more accessible to me. I had no chops on guitar. And then when I went to university, I couldn't really practice uh, drums anymore. So I was like, ah, maybe I'll focus my efforts more on guitar. And then I got into bands like Dream Theater and stuff like that. That's where I started to work on my chops a little bit more. Um, Not that I ever was really good at it. And then like when when, um, Periphery started, I played drums because I was probably a little better at drums and it was harder to find a drummer that could play the stuff but i was not good enough to actually play the periphery stuff so it was always a temporary solution with the idea that i'd eventually go back to guitar uh for the band because i was just like i could play the guitar parts but for the drumming i want we need someone who's considerably better than me and that's what we ended up finding (laughs) thankfully and you're you know you definitely are one of the architects of this this kind of this sound and uh how did you stray into this? This it definitely goes beyond. I mean, your predecessors you named were playing low and stuff, but they weren't playing angular, intricate lines with with really open rhythms. How did you put together that sound? I mean, it's just emulating the stuff I like. Like I love Mashuga, love Dream Theater, love Deftones. You know, right there, that's a lot. There's bands like Sixth that were yeah. from the UK. Yeah. Like they they were a huge influence. All of it's just like. I got into this discussion the other day about some about originality, you know, um, because, you know, or even Tosin, like Tosin, well, other than working with him as an influence, like, I think for him, originality is like kind of an important thing. And, and he's such an original player that like, he might as well run with that, you know. But for me, originality was never really a goal. I never thought I was going to be a m- musician of any note anyways, you know. So it was more about just having fun. So yeah. it's about chasing stuff that I hear in my head and, and not really being concerned with whether it's original or not. And that's why if people are like, oh, like you guys are just a sugar ripoff or like, or you just sound like this. It's like, yeah, like, that doesn't, that doesn't really bother me so much <laughs> because that that's not really an insult. It's like, I know, I know we sound like a sugar ripoff. Like that's okay. <laughs> um, oh, man, but, like but the goal is chasing something much more abstract for me, which is just a feeling or like, you know, you hear it and you're like, yeah, that's just right. It's very hard to put into words, but you know when you're yeah. reaching it. And just trying to put something together that isn't quite what exists, but not in the interest of originality, but just it's what, what I want to hear. It's what my ears would like to hear. And, you know, if I could find yeah. someone else that yeah. does it better, I'll probably just listen to that. So, <laughs> you know. Well, one thing I love about you is you're chasing spaces too. Like in your riffs, there's so much air. There's always pocket. heavy guitar players that it's just a constant you know which that's great too but you are playing the silences as much as a sp- we come through well yeah you know like there's a lot of like sort of like uh, riffs that are like heavy heavily gated 
so you're just using the space to affect um, and again that's probably like from influence from bands like Meshuggah and maybe Dream Theater to some degree as well like um, you just just switching it up like because we'll also like Deftones on the other hand is like very flowing for the most part you know you hear all these yeah. bands like sort of bounce off of one another to where like yeah it's like I, I don't think about it I don't think about it in terms it's it's always stuff that after the fact you could sort of analyze and be like oh that's you know that's kind of a staccato riff or whatever but it's more like oh that's just what I was hearing in my head at that moment you know talking about these spaces though like you know like the heavy chords like so many songs like I don't know maybe jetpacks was yes or something mm -hmm. you know it's like where you're taking like a single power chord and then there's this huge gaps in between you know what I'm talking about can you play that or um or any song where there's god I haven't played that song in like a decade <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? Like that part there? Yeah, you know, again, it's uh, playing with syncopation. I think one thing that, that I like to do, and again, this is sort of taken from, from bands like Meshuggah and, and whatever, is like just syn syncopating 4-4 four four to where you might not even realize it's 4-4. Four four. That's maybe a bad example of that, but like there's other songs where like, you know, it's very unclear if this is like an odd time riff or if it's 4-4. Four four. Oftentimes there is a way to sort of reconcile it to 4-4 four four or to some, I think, I think with our music, we always want to have like sort of like a pulse of some kind, you know, it, it, it's not supposed to generally be so abstract so as to lose you, but what it is isn't always super clear on the first listen. I think that's sort of that, that line that we walk, walk down. Right. And what's your theory on the origin, origin of the word gent? I mean, there's no theory about it. Uh, it started on the Meshuggah forum. It's, it was invented by the, the uh, Meshuggah boys, and it literally just describes like a four-note power chord. Like, it's an onomatopoeia for that. Be like a lot of people would be doing power chords like, like that's how they would play it. But gent is like where you like kind of like really make it very metallic sounding, right? Um, and then that just became part of the lexicon when you posted there and I would post ideas and just be like new genty idea somewhat ironically. And then I guess like people started to catch on and thought it was the genre or whatever. And it's very hard to f fight with people on the internet about stuff. So then they decided it was a genre and now it's a genre. Uh, but I did not invent the term. It was definitely the Meshuggah guys. And I think they did it kind of as a joke and I think they greatly regret coming up with that term <laughs> why I, why it's great and, i mean again it's one of these things i've seen some some of our because you know i've always considered periphery and like i've always considered our approach to be progressive metal because it sort of gave us the most freedom to just do whatever we wanted um without feeling limited but yeah that and that's to this day like our approach is just progressive metal yeah. but then sort of a lot of bands got retroactively labeled gent um we don't mind, and I think I think it's kind of funny, and we'll we'll play up to that. We'll have shirts and whatever. But there are some bands I think that like took offense to it or whatever. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, and I get it because it's like kind of like, well, what is that? It's a made up word. It's not what we are. It's not what we identify as. For me, it doesn't really bother me too much because I think labels. You're just trying to organize stuff. It doesn't really affect anything. So, whatever. What I always say, like whatever you want to call us, that's fine. Especially if you enjoy the music, doesn't doesn't really matter. Seen people call us uh, metalcore. Seen people argue that we aren't metal at all. Like you know, it's like none of that stuff bothers me. 
Um, <laughs> it's uh, whatever, whatever you, whatever helps you organize this better. Well, personally, I love about periphery is, uh, is it's, you can headbang to it and turn it up really loud and it's very aggressive and it's got aggressive vocals, but it's also got so much beauty in terms of supreme melodicism too. How do you uh, juggle those two aspects? It's interesting. I mean, I think, it, again, it's come, it comes from the influences. It's like, I loved bands like Mashuga and Dillinger Escape Plan and stuff like that. But I also loved Deftones. And, you know, I grew up on Michael Jackson. And I love, um, uh, you know, the composer from the Final Fantasy series, uh, Nobuo Uematsu. You know, Final Fantasy VII is one of my favorite soundtracks of all, all time. So a lot of the melodic aspects is drawing from that kind of stuff. And... You know, Periphery has always been my attempt to try to have my cake and eat it too. Even on our first album, we were really sort of pushing out in every direction. I remember, like, there was a conscious effort with that and, like, the songs that we picked for that because I saw a lot of bands that, that, that I loved. Um, like, a great example is Thrice. They put out uh, Artist in the Ambulance, which was a huge hit. I think they were, like, on MTV and stuff. They were doing really well. And then they put out Vihisu, and it was such a departure in sound, and they hadn't really ever put out songs that sounded like that. And I even wrote them off at the time because I felt sort of betrayed by it. I was expecting, like, artist in the ambulance part two or whatever and i was younger then you know i i, I do cringe at that and it took me like a few years to realize that like vihisu is like the best album ever and it's probably my favorite thrice album ironically enough right now um but those shifts if unexpected can be very jarring for fans and you know can be difficult for for a band's career depending on how it's received so i i figured it might be smart to just kind of get that all out of the way in the beginning and like have the full gamut um on the on the debut so that if we do more stuff in one direction or the other or if we expand on those directions it wouldn't be seemingly out of nowhere there would be a sort of logical path that one could draw to that and i think that's worked out well it's given us some leeway to to really just go down a few paths um and it, it's not to say that everybody or every fan loves every song uh, but that doesn't really matter. It's it's these these are our albums are always very sort of selfish selfish uh, explorations of music for us. <laughs> you both are enjoying it, you and your fans. So that's cool. I mean, another another world you explore is the kind of psychedelic soupy, like at the end of Marigold. There's a feedbacks floating. Yeah, how many guitars that is. How did you create that sound? So yeah, that's using like sort of self oscillation on a delay pedal and and. Um, one of those tricks I could show you, like, uh, well, I could show you the sound. Uh, let me just dial it in. Uh, it's something I like to do. It's like kind of a post-rock thing. If you're running into gain um, and you run a delay, generally speaking, people will run it after, right? So let's say I have my delay after, right? That's what you think, right? 
just sounds like a regular lead. But you put that delay before the amp, and now every repeat's gonna interact with the gain as well, so you get like... And you can then use that and like, you know, mess with the, the feedback and whatever, and the mix, and you can get this sort of like, wash. Put some reverb on that, you know? Like some really washy reverb. Let's see. Let's, uh... Let's do this, maybe. You can get into the ambient and more dreamy stuff like that. And it's really just about like, I mean, the very simple effects just delay and reverb, but the placement will sort of affect everything. So, um, yeah. and then, and then, um, some delay pedals and like we, uh, my, my pedal company, Horizon Devices, we have a pedal called the Flux Echo, which is pretty good for this. Yeah. You can, you can, there's a freeze function, so you can actually hold the, the delays. It'll just keep repeating them and, um, and self oscillate and like, that's sort of what you're hearing is like that sort of effect being activated, deactivated throughout to create these even longer trails. It's kind of hard to demonstrate. I'm just using like an axe effects right now just for, for ease of use, but I don't have a way to hold it. Is there a hold function on this? I wonder. Doesn't the Flex Echo have reverb element to it? It does. Well, it has both. So that, that has both on it. And that's supposed like the Flex Echo was designed to be like sort of like the ambience that I like in a box, you know, because um, a lot of people like that kind of sound. But we found, especially with our customers, that like not everybody. In fact, I'm not necessarily our customer because I love these super complex, like give me the kitchen sink and I'll dial it in. Most people just want a thing that just works and that's not too complicated. So it's sort of like my sound, sound just dialed into a pedal. And you can run the Flux Echo in front of gain to get that similar effect, or you can run it afterwards, or you can run one before and after, like I do on my pedal board, so you get both. So, um, yeah. How do you just how do you just go and launch a, like, Tosin has Tosin guitars or Abasi guitars, and how do you just go and launch a Horizon devices, but I guess you mostly make pedals, yeah, it, I mean, it was just partnering with... Does a, it take up all your time or what? Uh, it, I mean, it depends. Not, you know, it takes up a bit of time, like starting a business. I think I think when we were first starting, it took up the most time, you know? Once you get the ball rolling, then then you can sort of like... And you you have cash flow and stuff like that, then you can delegate a bit more. But um, but yeah, like when we were first launching, it took a lot of time. I, I partnered with, um, well, two friends, uh, Maytab Bogle and uh, Brian Gilmanov, and... We all sort of divide and conquer. They handle different aspects of the business, which is like, in my opinion, the the way to approach business is you don't want four people who all do the same thing. You want people who sort of complement each other. So whatever you're strong at, you know, uh, they might not be as strong at, but wherever they're strong at, you might be kind of weak at. Then you can sort of yeah, d divide and conquer the responsibilities. Um, and uh, and we had a pretty solid plan. You know, the 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 precision drive was a bit of an experiment because it was an overdrive that I wanted to exist that did not exist. And I was like, why can't I buy this? Um, and basically what it is, is like, you know, uh, 
I'm using, I, in fact, I'm using right now on this patch, I'm using, funny enough, because uh, Fractal ended up putting our pedal into their firmware, so I'm using the Precision Drive model. But you can adjust, um, you can adjust the low end as it goes into the front of the amp. Uh, I don't know if I should explain, like, how I boost my amps or whatever, but, you know, do you think that's worth uh, talking about? Well, what are, what are your amps? Are you doing the PV stuff? Well, I have I have my PV Invective, and that has like a boost circuit built into it. But basically, like yeah. a lot of these amps, like when you're tuning lower, um, right now I'm in drop C, but we have seven string stuff and some eight string stuff. It's a lot of low end for the amp to receive. It's sort of like expecting E standard, like nine to forty six or, or or thereabouts, right? And then these lower frequencies tend to like overwhelm it, so you get this very woofy, you know, flubby quality to it. So, you know, you can tighten it up with a tube screamer up front and it'll kind of cut the, the low end out and give you a little mid boost and it'll give it more of a, dare I say, genty sound, right? But, you know, depending on the amp, depending on the guitar, depending on your tuning, all that, like, it may be more or less effective. And I've found different, you know, overdrives are better or worse in certain situations. And I was like, I really wish I could just adjust the amount of low end that's on this thing. And also these things tend to introduce a bit of noise. So I'd always have a noise gate. So it'd be great to just have like an all-in-one solution. So I could just put this in front of any amp and it would be able to get, you know, within the ballpark of my sound, you know, any sort of medium to high gain amp. And that didn't exist. So we put it out and we, we thought like, oh yeah, maybe we'll try to sell 500 of these. But turns out a lot of people really wanted a pedal that could do that too. So that's been very popular. And that sort of helped the- Congratulations. The, 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 the company, thank you. I mean. When we first started, we didn't know what the longevity or the scope of the company was. It was really just, let's see if this works. We're all guitar nerds and we we like this product. Uh, let's see if we can just sell 500 and then, you know, good. <laughs> if we could do that, great. <laughs> Maybe it'll take us a year. And I think we ended up selling like our, our pre-order, just on pre-orders, like in the first like day or two. So like then we're like, okay, so there's there's legs to this thing. <laughs> Maybe we should we should see how far we could take it. And here we are. We're, we're still uh, we're still at it. Any other new devices on the horizon? Or? Yeah, but I can't talk about them, unfortunately. You know, they don't <laughs> don't want to spoil things before they're out. Fair enough. Tell me what's going on in the intro to Blood Eagle. Like that is so oh. heavy. That's heavy ass. Yeah, it's I like mean, I can show three, you. It's, three guitar players at once, or so. I mean, like, it's just like kind of like, you know, doing like a little string tree uh, noise there, right? And um, let me uh, let me just up the level of this a little bit. Let's see that. Let's get a little bit more. Yeah, my input trim's way down. Oh yeah, that sounds a little better. Um, it's kind of an interesting technique on this. So I'm on a I'm on a six. Huh. I could grab a seven, but you know whatever. It's the same thing. So I'm gonna drop tuning, and yeah, that that first riff is pretty interesting because like, you know, um, we're using a harmonic. This is actually something a friend showed me. My my buddy uh, Randy Edwards showed me this trick. I just kind of worked into a riff, which is rather than just hitting, you know, a harmonic. Well, if you fret like so, drop tuning, right? So. CGC. But if you just take that first string and play a one, right? Now you get this really dirty sounding harmonic and you're fretting these two strings. That's how it would sound normally, but if you fret one, that's how it sounds. So now I, I, I integrated that into a riff, so it's like... 
and again it's one of those riffs that's like kind of playing over the bar and uh you know kind of aggressive so where that harmonic appears keeps changing but um but yeah that's like basically that 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 technique i mean i didn't come up with it i just appropriated it Well, I love harmonics because, but all they're all like on the, each string, they're arranged in the exact same place. So, so what you're doing is you're artificially moving where it is, yes. but just on one string and on the others, it's staying the same. So now you get this interval that's different than what you would get normally, you know? Yeah. So start playing around with some stuff like that. Well, the very intro is just like a string tree noise and just like, you know, just off three, yeah, three guitars, whatever, just some, some random noise, you know? And then like, you know, like a, you know. It's a big Ben. I love your whole teamwork. Like everything you do is really team oriented. Like even if you like watch Reptile and and you're not even taking the big solo. Like you're always happy to. Uh, no, I don't like I don't like solos. I hate solos. We're all just trying to pawn them off on each other. <laughs> but wait, you solo you solo on Blood Eagle, right? That's you. I did because nobody else. Like I tried to. If I had my way, I would have zero solos. But I, I had to like step up. How often you know, do you solo on a record? As little as possible. I'm gonna see if I can get away. With, I'm, I'm gonna see if I can get away with zero solos on this next one. Just give them all to Mark and Jake because I hate, I hate writing solos. I hate playing them. Live. It's my least favorite part of a live show. I don't particularly enjoy writing them. I don't think I'm a good soloist. It's just not. There's nothing about. It's like more of a chore than anything. Uh, I'd rather just let someone else deal with that stress. Uh, but I'll probably not be able to pawn them all off. Like, I, no one wants the glory in the band, you know? Everybody just wants someone else to have it. So, like, <laughs> so so the guys are going to fight me, and they're going to be like, no, we've taken solos on this one, so, you, you know, you need to you need to do one on this one because we're not going to do it. That's what happened with Blood Eagle, and then they liked I what I came like up with. I really relate to you, though. Like, uh, you know, when certain types of music were so heavily rhythmic, like, I mean, if, if I'm going to play Metallica, I'd like to play the Hetfield parts, Right, more you know, like there's some like I think when you meet, when you go over to soloing, another thing is you're you're stepping away from the groove, and you're probably like really loving the groove more than the solo. And you're know. also <laughs> like like the spotlights on you, and if you mess up, like there's just more anxiety there. I don't love that. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean like I, I'm much more of a rhythm player than I'm a lead player, so I think I'm I'm just much more comfortable defaulting to that. You know, I think when I do solos and when I write them you know there's a part in the back of my mind that's just like this is good for you you know this is you eating your vegetables like you're just this is you this is do it because like it's gonna help and it's gonna be good but i i never love it and i always just try to get out of doing it (laughs) well and it's interesting because you constantly cite alan holdsworth one of probably the top three guitar soloists in our lifetimes he's one of my favorites but yeah, you're not into soloing, but what is it that is so profoundly influential about him? I mean, well, his soloing, yeah, I, I, I tried to learn about it. You know, like when I was working on my chops, like I was trying to be John Petrucci and I was trying to be Alan Holdsworth, and then trying to be Guthrie and like, you know, all these guys that just are way beyond the level I'll be, even if I spend the rest of my life trying to, trying to understand that but then i just wanted to get in with Holdsworth specifically i was just trying to get in his head because i was just like you know he's improvising this stuff and i'm like studying it right and this is just stuff that he's coming up on the fly it's like how are these the choices that he's making in the moment how is this his instinct how is he hearing this like what is he hearing that i'm not hearing 
that would make him approach it in such a way. And there's a few players players out there that seem to see music. They're only similar in that they see it differently than everyone else. They're all different from one another. But like, I'm just I I always want to understand like why someone would have made those choices. Like on on drums, like I, and funny enough, he played with Alan's like Vinny Caliuta. Like again, another guy. I'm just like, how is that what you heard? And I I need to understand you. <laughs> so um, it's it's that that's probably what to this day fascinates not only me but anyone who loves Holdsworth because think of think of it this way there's not a lot of people there's maybe a handful of people who could even sort of cop his style and there isn't really anyone who can they could sort of sound like him ish but no one can really yeah. capture that that's how that's how far off into deep space he was no doubt he is an alien yep yeah He's an alien. That 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 at least makes me feel better about everything. If he's actually like proof of alien life forms entering Earth, you know, then like it's like sure. I feel yeah, a little if there's better. There's any proof in the guitar world. I yeah. think it would be him. Now, but there must be a way that he has shown his influence has shown up in one of your riffs or something. Oh or yeah, some, absolutely. Some kind of approach um, that I'd say. Le- I'd I'd say less so uh, these days, but like. Uh, I'm just not writing riffs anymore. <laughs> um, but like, you know, old songs like Buttersnips, like. Like that little, like. Like just little, little tags like that. Like that to me is very, very Holdsworthy, you know? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny. The Blood Eagle solo. The guy, I although I wasn't really going for for Holdsworth or anything like that, but like the guys were like, "Why don't you do one of those weird like like Holdsworthy Meshuggah style things?" You know, it's like so. Ah, how do I play it? Yeah, I sound like I'm I'm running out of strings. I haven't I haven't had to play that in uh, well over a year now, so I don't know how to play it anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know stuff like that. And I apologize for not playing clean. I have just not been playing very much guitar lately because I haven't had hey, much man, cause to. So many people are in that boat. It's like chops are being dusted off now here in the spring of 21 yeah i mean if we have a tour i'll prepare and i'll literally have to relearn my songs because i always say it's like a math test you know it's like when you're done you just eject it from your brain i I need space for other things once the tour is over uh and then like i've I've literally gone as far as to like watch youtube videos of us performing to like remember how to play parts (laughs) and i'm not the only one in the band who's like none of us know theory or anything like that so we have our ear and like videos to to, to count off. we don't write it we, we we only have recordings you know or i'll like open up the project and like try to decipher what's going on and see if i can remember how to play it but uh yeah it's a little, a little bit crude but uh but that's just hey you know we've been making it work so 
So I apologize. I'm not. I'm not uh, anywhere near 100 percent on guitar. But Every, you know. dude, everybody's dusting off, you know, and people are just starting to play again. And what, what's the quick update for our Periphery? Are you guys have any dates on the books? No, no, no. Or? We're not going to tour for a little bit. Um, we're we're currently writing. You know, we're in writing mode, which you know, funny enough, means I'm even worse at guitar because I'm usually kind of more producing the sessions and writing in the moment rather than pre-preparing stuff. Or it's like demos I've written already we kind of build off of i kind of like reacting in the moment to that so it's less about sort of chops these days i haven't been writing super riffy riffs and between jake and mark we're good on those you know so i think i just take a bit more of a holistic approach to to, to the writing sessions and that's sort of where i settle and seem to be happiest these days you know i think back in the day i was writing all the, the riffy stuff and i'm now i'm just like i don't know <laughs> i'm good <laughs> yeah and I mean, I've played like just about every style of music, you know, performed it on stage from jazz to funk to rock to classic metal, but I've never played anything like Periphery. What, what's your favorite aspect when you're on stage with a band? What's your favorite part of the night? Like it could be just grooving or it could be a certain moment. Yeah, just grooving and like, I don't know, we've got good chemistry as a band and there's moments where just the crowd's going off, there's good energy. That energy is literally palpable. So if the energy's good and we're getting that from the audience, the band's into it and I can tell the band's into it. Sometimes I'll just like stand, you know, I'm, I stand stage uh, stage left and like I'll just look, I'll just turn, sort of turn the band, just jam, like look at them and like there are these moments where I'm just like, like I can't believe this is real. Like this, this, is, this looks like a, like a dream right now. And, you know, the guys are like my best friends in the whole world. So it just feels like I'm sharing a moment. Um, and then there's there's certain riffs and moments, and especially with uh, Jeff Mark's brother on lights, you know, everything's like locking in um, and we're just grooving. And everything's just right. And like those are sort of those are special moments. And then there's some sing along sessions, sections or parts where I can hear the crowd over my loud in-ears and, you know, you get goosebumps on those parts. So there's a lot of... Like I say about touring, it's like touring sucks. Um, it, it's hard work. It's stressful. And as I get older, it gets harder and harder. Uh, but the show is really what makes it worth it. It's like that, that one hour is what makes up for how sort of terrible and stressful the rest is. You know? What's the most hilarious moment you remember happening on stage, like at a periphery show <laughs> or something was something, some foible or something went wrong or mishap or spinal tap moment? Um, or it could be off stage. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's it's all blur. If I'm honest, uh, there's so much that happens, and I'll, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, one time I went for a solo. This is not funny. I guess it's funny for everybody else. But one time I went for a solo, and I guess what happened was like um, I have locking tuners on my guitar, but it must have not been tight so i went for, like for for ben and it just basically detuned the string all the way at like the beginning of a solo and i had to just like draw i was just like this is not something that could be fixed within the length of this so i just had to like stop i was just like oh god um i've almost fallen before one time this is way back in the day but one time like i did this you know sometimes i'd like to because we're all wireless you know i don't have a pedal board or anything so i could technically play as far as i've got reception if you will uh, and, and all of our patch changes are being done by the computer anyways, uh, which is great. So like, uh, sometimes I'll jump into the crowd like while, while I'm playing, but one time I overshot and like went into the pit and like basically just landed on my back on the ground, you know, 
Again, funny for everyone else. They didn't catch you? No, I, I like jumped past them into into the pit. <laughs> I think they tried, but there's only so much that people can do. Like, uh, <laughs> so it wasn't their fault. Yeah. It was mine. You got mad hops. But what is that like? Do you ever end up like crowd surfing on your back playing guitar or something? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. The only thing that's difficult about this, and I learned this lesson the hard way, is uh, the in-ears. Because sometimes they can get ripped out because, you know, you got a bunch of hands. This happened in Japan, and I stopped doing it with in-ears. I started to be a bit more strategic, like on the last song, or like I'd take my in-ears out for like a song or a section, you know, and like completely unplug them and put my pack like in my pocket so I can't lose anything, because I like to do that. And it also has to be on a section that I can actually play while chaotic things are happening, <laughs> like me, you know, crowd surfing. But um, I had my in-ears in, and I actually went in and crowd surfed, and everything was fine. And I think I was having like a lot of technical issues that show. I was like kind of frustrated and, and a little drunk. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go again. And, and this time, as soon as I landed, I just felt pop, both my in-ears come out. And like when I went to reach for them, you know, these are custom molded expensive in-ears. It's just the strings. No in-ears at the end of them. And I'm like, oh, shit. And it was at like a festival and there was like 2,500 people there. Uh, very good for crowd surfing, very bad for finding <laughs> in-ears, you know, like, like thousand dollar in-ears that just dropped to, to people's oh, feet. Dude. And I was just like, well, those are gone. And now I have no in-ears for the rest of the tour. This is going to be fun. And when I got back to the stage, I like point, this is in Japan. No one even speaks English. So I just sort of pointed at that. I swear to God, Japan's the only country in which this would happen. They found them and delivered them back to me. So that by like the next song, I, ha I had them back in my ears and they were working. Amazing. I was like, any other place you do that, like in New York City, those are gone. Those are sold by the end of the show on eBay, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting cultural thing. I thought they were goners, but ever since then, I make sure to take my in-ears out before, um, cause the in-ears, you know, the, the cables are replaceable. So they, they're not meant to come off easily, but with enough force that will, they will come out and that's what will fall into oh, yeah. the into the crowd as i've learned so you know embarrassing for me but that was a freebie and i was like all right i'm just gonna learn from that lesson and if i jump into the crowd while i'm playing like i'm gonna always make sure i have my in-ears out <laughs> yeah you got bailed out on that one that was that's great yeah bailed out big time um <laughs> what's your uh focus right connection i know that they're uh, they work with you on stuff or whatever. who focus right do you use focus right stuff never heard of them what, uh, really did sounds like a very cheap company i don't i don't know them, but whatever whatever the products they make sounds like you probably shouldn't buy them pro well, tip this is, no this is a this will definitely be cut out of the uh, no don't cut that part out yeah no i love focus right i mean i'm i'm using their stuff oh, right now shit. um i've got their <laughs> ready me you just psyched me so hard oh really good 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 you punked yeah, please shit keep out of me all right that there. in yeah dan will have a heart attack um uh, so, uh, yeah, I use their Red 8 Pre and I use their, uh, Octo Pre's so I could plug everything in. Um, you know, people talk about converters. I'm sure the conversion's good, but like, they're just reliable. I just want a reliable interface. I want a simple routable. It's extremely routable. It's extremely reliable. It's the only interface I've ever been able to get my damn streaming to work on. Cause no one really has a solution for that. Like it's, um, it, it just works. Knock on wood. And it has for I've been I've been working with them for years. I mean, you know, in the interest of uh, transparency, yeah, they send me stuff for free, so I should be talking 
uh, nicely about them. But no, but genuinely, like if if this stuff broke and I had to pay for it, I would I would go out and buy it because it it actually works and and it, yeah, stability stability is when you have a when you have a workstation or anything like that. Like stability is the the most important thing. And I've had other stuff that hasn't been as stable or as reliable, and then that is a real kick in the balls when that happens. So the fact that this has worked and has worked as long as it has is all I can ask for. And then like I know that the converters on these are really good too so at least i don't need to worry about the sound quality on anything input output uh being compromised you know yeah i, I think you've redeemed yourself there that's good just a little <laughs> bit just a little bit <laughs> well do you have time to maybe grab one of the sevens like juggernaut looks like there's like uh yeah yeah there's behind you yeah right? there, there's, there's some sevens You may want to edit my tuning out. Yeah, this is the recording, or one of the recording sevens. It's a very trusty guitar. Is that a piece of gaff tape on, over the strings behind yeah, the Yeah, just a little or? bit of extra muting. I always just put that on there, you know, both live and in the studio. Yeah, so Bloody will be a... Now we're in the correct tuning. No. Ooh. How does that go? I'm gonna have to relearn this, man. I don't remember it. Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're warming up, though, man. I can I'm, hear the cobwebs I'm, coming I off. Mean, you're getting yeah, fired up. This is the thing. Actually, there's like a whole other aspect to it. Is like it's really weird because I'll practice for a tour and, um, you know, I'll learn all the parts and I'll be like, yeah, yeah like kind of remember this. Oh, this feels weird to play. And then like when I get to practice, I'm actually like, you know, with the guys and we're standing up and playing. I'm like, oh, I kind of remember this. Yeah. Now I'm getting the muscle memories coming back. And live, I always have some whiskey on stage. I'm always drinking, like not getting drunk, but just sipping some whiskey. It just takes the nerves. Just, Wh which brand? Um, I mean, usually just whatever's cheap. You don't really taste much on stage when you have adrenaline going. So like if it's Jack or Jameson or whatever, like every now and then we'll always put like Glenlivet on the, on the rider, but we will rarely get it. And you know, it's our money at the end of the day. So it's a bit of a waste and it just tastes like alcohol. Like at the end, like you don't, you're not like enjoying it. You know, it's just. It's utilitarian. I don't drink outside of the stage, actually. It's literally just to take my nerves off on stage. And, and you never have a drink before the set? Or I'll have like, no, 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 no. Before the set, before the set, like right before, I'll, I might have like a little sip. I'll be drinking like from, and, and during the set, I'll be drinking. But I'm saying in real life, like outside of tour yeah. or whatever, I don't really drink ever. I don't really do much of anything. It's just a purely utilitarian thing to help me get out of my head and just take the edge off. Uh, and just, you know, if I mess up, it's like, oh, it's rock and roll and I'm not just beating myself up over it for the rest of the show. So, um, but yeah, where was I going with that? Yeah. When I, when I, when I actually have a sip of, uh, of, of whiskey and I'm on stage and you know, that that's when everything actually finally clicks and I'm like, oh, I remember this. It's like the context is so important. The context is everything. And like right now sitting down, not on stage, stone cold, sober, not really ever playing the riffs like this it feels very alien 
and it takes sort of being in that in that uh, state and setup to uh, to have the muscle memory kick in again, you know. So that's part of it. Yeah, and other excuses. I like what you said. <laughs> utilitarian, yeah. Those five IPAs I had were just it was utilitarian. Utilitarian purposes. IPAs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely don't fuck with beer because like it, it makes me burp. It, you know, I, I, I need something. Special. And and whiskey, I don't know why, but whiskey is the only drink where like. I can have it and like, you know, I just feel like it's very gentle to me. Like the next day, yeah. uh, as I get older, I, you know, if you, if you drink, you'll feel it. And I don't really want to feel it again. I'm not doing it to party. I'm doing it to just kind of take the edge off. So, uh, you know, I don't want something where like, I'll feel like shit afterwards or I'll feel like shit the next day. Well, before we go, why don't you tell us what's up with the uh, bulb and your solo stuff? You seem like you've released all these archives of all these demos and demos for yeah. the years yeah that's then, like yeah it's did like, you have like a decades. new album coming as well yeah yeah, yeah. so so i finally uh got that done after 15 years you know and uh it's uh it's coming out soon when is it when is this going live this will probably be next week yeah i think i think by then we'll have already uh, like dropped some hints or whatever but yeah it's coming soon coming very soon uh, and uh, maybe by the time this has dropped, there'll already be some some more information. I don't know if I'm allowed to say much more, but but I mean everyone knows that I'm working on it and that's done. Uh, I'm really ha- I'm really proud of it. Uh, I'm just more happy that's out. It's under the bulb. Yep. Moniker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's under bulb. That's sort of like my solo project. Anything that that's just. I'm oh, sorry. Are you doing it with the label or something? Or well, we own the label, like the three dot recordings. So that's that's a label that that Periphery's on, and you know. Uh, yeah, okay. all of our side projects and you know we work with one other band but we are talking to like you know we have some some things in the works i probably shouldn't or can't say too much about that either but you could say a little just we have things in the works you know it's not just supposed to, it, like i think it was supposed to originally just be for our projects but we're like well we can also help out bands that we believe in and that we, you know we can we we're in a position where we can offer it's not the label is no one's like main source of income. So it doesn't really have to be as like profit centric as a lot of, and it's a very small lean operation. So like we can offer very aggressive and attractive deals because it's not about the bottom line for us in the same way that it is for probably most labels where that's what they do. You know, it's just sort of this ancillary thing. And, and its main goal is really just to service our, our recordings and our and periphery and our albums. So we can do, properly big releases like periphery four was released that and that was one of our best it might have actually been like like chart wise and whatever our uh, our best received album but um you know that's the, the the goal was just to basically control or have control of all aspects uh so we don't butt heads with like the label heads because we're the label heads and management's always been on board and our management our manager helps us run the label and that's all that's all very smooth and probably the only reason that we can have labels because we have our 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 manager who's just a part of the the crew at this point like it's it's arguable that like i couldn't imagine periphery moving forward without our manager so he's a he's a very key player in all of this so it's it's kind of nice to have everything sweet well nicely done and all that and we don't have time to get into everything but People should definitely check out Get Good Drums too, which is you've created. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, the drum software company. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that 
again was born of necessity and like we use it all the time we use it to write i use it to demo it the 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 bulb album is entirely that you know um so if you program drums i highly recommend get good drums <laughs> it's uh it, it's been designed by people who program drums and and is, and is currently used by them as well and and i think uh we have a very loyal customer and fan base there and we're always putting out stuff based off the feedback and also off of just things that we think would be cool so um and the, and the scope of that is really cool software is always really cool because you know it's a it, it's a lot less limiting than manufacturing physical things especially during a pandemic <laughs> yeah well you sure stay busy man keep it alive till you're 95 and that, that's uh, a plan that's a plan yeah at least right maybe you could take us off in the sunset on one more riff on on, on the seven string I'll, I'll fade it out oh man um <laughs> i just never know what to play um i'll play my 80s riff i love to play you don't even need to play this on a seven, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, go. I love seeing you play the regular standard you know malcolm young chords right <laughs> on a seven well because it's it's standard tuning on those strings you know so you can actually yeah a lot of people i think when they get the seven they like they don't even occur to them that you can do that really or they're just well and then we we also drop it down to like uh let's just drop a flat so you also have the option you know, you know, you got these nice big chords. Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't even play that. Yeah, something like that. Whatever. Apologize for my really terrible playing in advance. Um, ah, no. Let's let's give some excuses before I sign off. Uh, guitar soloed by itself with no delay or anything like that always sounds kind of rough. This is not edited. It's a live performance. I haven't played guitar, or practiced guitar, and whatever. Help me out here. More ex more excuses. What, how many months? Oh, too many to count. Worldwide pandemic. Where the yeah, pandemic pandemic's probably slowing my fingers down. Um, yeah, you might have COVID in your calluses. I, I, my finger, if I don't have COVID, my, my, my calluses and fingers, you know, definitely have COVID, like double COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I'm hearing you wake up, man. I'm hearing this, the fingers are getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, the beast is arising. Yeah, well, I, there was never a beast to begin with, but I'll take it. Uh, very humble. I like your, I like your style, man. It's great talking to you, Misha. Thanks for being on. It's called No Self Confidence. Don't try it, it sucks. <laughs> That's funny. No, the tie is safe.